Alan, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And aren't you glad for Jesus? If you're here and you're saved, then Jesus is everything. He's everything. And I thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful that we are saved from the wrath of God. And that we're saved from our sins. And I hope that you are as well. This morning, there's a, a lot of things in the world to not be very happy about, isn't there? Gas prices, amen. <laughs> Other things I won't mention. There's a, you can, if you're looking for things to be upset about, you'll find it. But in Jesus Christ, there's hope. In Jesus Christ, there's joy. And I'll probably talk a little bit about this this morning, but I, after going door to door yesterday, I just had a special, really a, a specific burden that God's placed on me in regards to the fact that it's only through Christ that we have salvation. And of course, the book of John talks about that a lot, and, uh, and, we, and we'll see that today. But in 1 John chapter 4, we've been looking at the subject of love over and over and over and over again. Uh, but we're finishing up this chapter today, chapter 4. And as we finish the chapter up, of course, again, that theme continues. As John continues to talk about love, every time he talks about it, he goes deeper into the subject, and he covers more ground. And he gives us some final thoughts on love in this chapter, but uh, John brings up how our love should be made perfect a second time in this chapter, but he also brings up the power of God's perfect love towards us and what it does for us. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 17. The Bible says, we've, we've seen part of this verse already last week, but it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is... So are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God... Love his brother also. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us this morning. Open our eyes to the truth. I pray that you'll help us to just get exactly what we need this morning. I know that there are probably people in this room right now that are not trusting in you as their personal Savior. And if they're not, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to make today the day of salvation. And God, if they, they're the people that are here, if they are saved, I pray you'll just help us to grow in our love. Help us to be mature in the faith. Help us to uh, have this perfect love that you talk about in your word in the many different aspects that uh, we may need it. I pray you help me to speak clearly and help me, Lord, to just say exactly what you want me to say and just give us clarity. And I pray that you'll just do a wonderful work this morning and be with the kids out back as they learn about you, be with Faith and uh, her helper, that you'll just give them uh, the strength and the ability to teach the children and that you'll give them what they need this morning as well. In your holy name, amen. So John, like I said already, he writes of this perfect love in this passage. Now it's important to understand what John is saying when he says perfect love in each of these verses. In verse 17 and verse 18, they differ. They're not the same. 
Uh, the, the love made perfect. Look at your Bible at uh, verse 17. It says, herein is our love made perfect. That love made perfect in verse 17 and the perfect love in verse 18 differ from one another. Now, don't get confused. I want to make this clear to you, okay? In verse 17, when it says love made perfect, it is not talking about having a total and Christ-like love that has no holes and that has no flaws and that is totally complete. And the reason that we know this is because the love made perfect in verse 17 is talking about your love. And it's talking about my love. It's talking about our love. The love made perfect in verse 17 It comes from a Greek word that simply means to add what is lacking or maturing. So it carries the idea of a growing love. It's not complete. It's it's an action that is continually taking place. So as we looked at last week, as we're dwelling in the Spirit of God, our love is growing. Our love is maturing. So as we dwell in love, God continually adds love in the areas where we lack and need more maturity in love. God, as we dwell in Him, He is adding love where we lack it. And listen, if you think this morning that you don't have any area where you're lacking love, you're wrong. You're wrong. Okay? We're not perfect. Again, this is not talking about a perfect Agape love that God has. This would be, just for example, like if you have younger children, or even if you have older children, especially if you have teenagers, okay? It would be like you trying to help your child mature in certain areas of their life as they grow older. Maybe uh, you have seen, you know, they're growing, they're maturing, but you see a few things here and there that they need to work on. Right? They're, they're not perfect. They, they still need help in different areas. Uh, maybe just for exa- an example, you, your children are kind to other people. Maybe they're respectful to adults. Maybe they're even obedient to you as parents, yet at home they are just terribly, terribly mean to their siblings. So you see an area of maturity that is lacking. You see an area that needs work. So what do you do? What should you do? You should point it out to them. You should try to help them, and you should look to help them add to what is lacking in their maturity. And likewise, in the area of love, believers have areas where there is some aspect lacking. There's room for growth. There's room for maturity in love, and this is, of course, a constant work of the Holy Spirit. And and look, obviously, this subject of love is very, very important, or else John would not keep going, right? I mean, some of you guys are in here right now, and you're sick of hearing it. I know you are. Because I'm sick of studying it. No, I'm just kidding. But the Lord knows what we need. The Lord knows what I need. And as we saw last week, by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, as our love is growing, as our love is maturing, as our love is being added where it is lacking, we know it does wonders in the lives of believers. And this... So the love made perfect, it's about us, okay? It's, it's being added to, okay? It's a continual work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of yourself. If you're trying to do it yourself, you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. But in verse 18, it says perfect love. And that's different than the love made perfect. Again, I don't want to confuse you, so please stay with me. But in verse 18, John, what he's doing is he's talking about the love of God. He's turning away from the believer's love and he's turning to the love of God. And this perfect love from God, it is true, it is selfless, it is complete, it is agape love. 
The perfect love here comes from a Greek word that actually means a love that is brought to its end. It's a love that is finished. It's a love that's lacking nothing. It's the love of God. Now we know that the love of God is perfect. Because his love was displayed and it was made complete as Christ died on the cross for our sins. The Bible tells us in John 3.16, we all know the verse, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That was the ultimate act of love right there. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin. It was a complete act of love and it lacked nothing. So as Jesus Christ said when he was on that cross, as he said, hey, it is finished. And by the way, he didn't say it weakly. He didn't say it like a wimp. It was a cry loudly. He said, it is finished. When he said that, no doubt his act of love was finished because he died for us. It was the ultimate act of love. So our love is growing. It is maturing. If we're dwelling in the Holy Spirit, it is uh, really maturing in the general sense if we understand how perfect God's love is. So today what we're going to see is uh, in regards to uh, perfect love, we're going to look at God's perfect love and how it affects those that are in Christ. And uh, you may wonder, well, what does the knowledge of God's perfect and complete love do for me? And, And look, again, some of what is going to be said today by John is reiterated. John likes to repeat himself. And that's for a reason, okay? This is the inspired word of God, okay? So there's a reason for it. But some of what John says here today is new, and and we're really going to get into this uh, specifically in our first point. First, we're going to see that God's perfect love gives confidence. Let's look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 and 18. God's perfect love gives confidence. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is... So are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now these two verses, they tie together. 1 John 4, 8, we've seen this already. The Bible says God is love. So we know it's a fundamental part of who God is. And according to verse 17 of this chapter, Who we are in Christ, it will give us boldness on the day of judgment. Look again at verse 17 at the end there. Actually, let's just read the whole thing. It says in verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. Look what it says, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. I think that's awesome. Okay, listen to what it's saying here. As as Jesus Christ is right now, in heaven, if you are saved, so are you in the world. As Christ is, so are we even now. This means that the Father, God the Father, deals with those that are saved the same way that He deals with His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. God sees us as He sees Christ when we trust in Him. So if we are in Christ... If we are born again, then we are as He is even now in the world. Now what does that mean for us? Well listen, in Christ you have salvation. In Christ you are justified. In Christ you are sanctified. In Christ you are a child of of God. And in Christ you have nothing 
to fear according to this passage in Christ. And because of Christ, John says, we can have boldness. Boldness. And that word boldness here, we've talked about it before, but it means cheerful courage. It means free and fearless confidence. We've seen before how this word carries the idea of a Greek citizen being able to boldly and confidently speak out because of his position as a citizen. They could speak out to government officials freely because they were a citizen of that country. And look, if we are in Christ, then that will give us boldness before God in the judgment. And this shows us the truth of our position in Christ. You know, our position grants us access and gives us confidence as we experience and we dwell on the perfect love of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, like I said, this point here, we're going to really emphasize this point because it's something that we haven't hit before. We see a couple of different words in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that we're going to talk about. So this is going to be a pretty long point, and the next two will be kind of brief. But look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 11. The Bible says in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 3, According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, and praise God, and access, with confidence, by the faith of him. And praise God, Christ gives us access to God, and he gives us boldness through him. So, just as a, a Greek citizen could boldly speak out to government officials because of their citizenship, you understand that one day, because I have trusted only Jesus Christ as my Savior, when I stand before God, I will be able to boldly, not in a disrespectful way, but I will be able to boldly stand before God knowing that my sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And by the way, it says all sin. Not some, but all. But if we experience and we dwell on the, the perfect love of God, not only is that going to give us confidence, but according to where we're at this morning, it also drives out fear. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, let's look at verse 18 again. First John chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torments, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know, that, that first, those first few words there, there is no fear in love, that, that's like a really big catchphrase for some people. They, they have that on t-shirts and everything, and in hats, and they don't even know what it means, okay? <laughs> but, that word here, when it says it casteth out, it means to drive out. The same phrasing is used in Matthew 13, 48, when the Bible tells us that the disciples, they gathered good fish into their boats while they were fishing, but it says that they cast away the bad fish that were rotten. So what John is saying here, he's saying that the knowledge of our position in Christ and the knowledge of the perfect love of God not only will it help us grow uh, our love where it's lacking, not only will it help us give, have confidence when we stand before judging, but not only that, it's going to throw out all fear that we have when we stand before God. Now look, fear 
is damaging. Fear is very dangerous. It's a dangerous emotion. It's a, a, a crippling thing. And these days, it seems like people are afraid of nearly everything. There are many, many, many phobias out there. And I'm sure if you've watched the news before, you probably have heard of some. It would be nearly impossible to know all the phobias. Uh, I'll just give you some examples. There's nomophobia, which is the fear of being without your mobile phone. Now, how many of you guys have that one? <laughs> Nobody would admit it. There's chromophobia, which is the fear of colors. I don't know what they do when they see a rainbow or what, I don't, when they see anything. I have no idea, but there are, there are people that are afraid of colors. And then there's more reasonable ones, of course, like acrophobia, which is the fear of heights, or uh, trypanophobia, which is the fear of needles and injections. And by the way, I can, I can relate to that, amen? But John here brings up what is called chrysophobia, which is the fear of judgment. He relates these two verses here, verse 17 and 18, and tells us the fact that those are in Christ, they can have confidence in the judgment, which also will result in not having fear of the judgment. These two words, fear and torment, in verse 18, they'd never been in this book until now. And the word fear here means dread or terror. The word torment comes from a Greek word that means punishment. So, because of God's complete love, because we know if we're saved, if we're in Christ, because we know that we have the love of God, what he's saying here is that believers should never fear the judgments because they're in Christ. But you know what? Some people do anyway. Some believers, they, they fear the judgment of Christ. But if you are a child of God and you still fear God's punishment, and you think of being judged by God with terror, it just, brings, it just makes you afraid. You're like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Look, if you think like that, then you have not reached the point of understanding God's love as it really is. That's what this is saying here. God, He has given us so much assurance of His love and the truth that we have nothing to fear all over Scripture. We've talked about this before. But if you're saved today, you don't need to fear the judgment. The knowledge of God's complete love that He has for you will drive out all fear of what will happen one day when you stand before God in regards to our eternal destination. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, We all know this verse. We've said it a hundred times. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus said, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? Okay? In Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, because of him, you don't have to worry and fear the judgment. As we stand before God, we will not be judged for our sins because Jesus paid it all. And because of this, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You understand, if you're here today and you are, again, I emphasize, in Christ, and you are fearing the judgment, your fearfulness does not come from God. Sometimes the spirit of fear, as, as that 2 Timothy talks about, it can overcome us, but we need to overcome it by the power of God. And by the love of God, and just to understand the love of God completely. So if we have fear of the judgment, and it does not come from God, then who does it come from? 
it comes from Satan. Again, uh, why would he drive us to fear? Because, as I said already, it cripples. Hey, listen, if you're fearing the judgment, you're not going to serve God. If you're fearing the judgment, you're not going to want to read your Bible. You're not going to have a prayer life. You're not going to try to reach people for Christ. And as these Gnostic teachers in 1 John, they spread lies and they were of their father the devil. They were, they were liars, no doubt. They were used by Satan to cause believers here to fear the judgment. But fearing the judgment of God as if we're going to come under condemnation when we are, when we are his child is nothing more than a tactic of the devil. And the reason that he looks to do that is because he does not want us to serve the Lord. He does not want us to rest in him. But you know, Christ calls you to rest in him. Amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We get a lot of Christians today that are fearful. They're worried. They're, they're scared about different things. And again, even the judgment. They're, they're fearful what's going to happen when uh, they stand before the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. And this whole passage of Scripture is a wonderful passage of Scripture, but let's focus in on verse 27. It says in verse 27 of Luke chapter 12, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And then look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is telling his disciples not to worry, not to be fearful. And he tells them that just as he has taken care of the lilies and, and nature in general, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of us. Uh, and he exhorts his disciples to seek the kingdom of God and be followers of him. And he tells them to fear not and gives them assurance of the coming kingdom as he says, fear not. Little flock. Why does he not want us to fear? Well, look, again, when you are fearful, you live your life differently. It, again, it cripples. So having no fear of condemnation, it will help our hearts be settled on him. It will help us to trust God as we should, and it will move us to live for him. And, and resting in the truth of God and resting in his love uh, will help us with that. When we understand the depth of love and we take the promise of assurance to the bank, it will help us live out our faith. But again, unfortunately, many Christians, they live in fear, they live in condemnation, they fear the judgment, and honestly, it does not make any sense for them to allow that to happen, if we know God's word. And listen, if you're, if you're fearful of the judgment, if you're fearful of your eternal destination when you know you are of, you're in Christ, if you're fearful of anything, if you're worried, that's sin. And it, it doesn't make any sense, as a child of God, to fear the judgment, because it's all over God's word. Just imagine if you were walking into a, a courthouse and you were going to spectate a trial. The trial that uh, you went to go see, it involved somebody you didn't even know, but they were facing drug charges and they were facing robbery and assault charges. And you begin to walk in that courtroom, but you don't have any fear. You're going in there just to watch. 
Now, why would you walk into that courtroom and not have fear? Why would you not be afraid? You know why? Because you're not the one that's on trial. You have not done anything wrong. You have not been charged with all these crimes. You have no reason to be afraid to walk into that courtroom. And listen, Christian, likewise, if you are in Christ, then you can go before the judgment seat without fear because you have boldness knowing that all of your sins are under the blood and it's not going to be charged on your account. It's not on you. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're in Romans a lot lately. And there's a lot of good stuff in Romans. Amen? Romans chapter 4. Look at Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 5. Or sorry, look at verse 3. Romans chapter 4 verse 3. We'll start there. The Bible says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Let me just stop right there. <laughs> Salvation has always been by faith. Always. Amen. There's proof right there, even in the Old Testament. Let's go on to the next verse. It says in verse 4, Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Oh, and here it is again. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Hey, if you're in Christ, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Man, what great confidence you can have knowing that your sins will not be imputed on you, meaning they will not be charged to your accounts. But... An immature Christian, they are tossed between the truth of God's love and fear. But a mature Christian, they will rest in the love of God. So our position in Christ, it should give us confidence toward God because, thank the Lord, in Him there is no condemnation. So if you are saved positionally, you're sanctified, you're on your way to heaven, and you can have confidence in that. But God's love, it is perfect, and it can give us this confidence as we dwell <clears throat> in this truth. So... Consider this morning, do you believe God's word or are you listening to the lies of the devil and allowing yourself to be fearful? If you're in Christ, the Bible is very clear. There's no condemnation. You can have boldness before Christ and before God thanks to his perfect love. Now understand though, the love of God is great. The love of God is real. But just as the love of God is real, so is the wrath of God. The wrath of God's a legitimate thing. We've seen this as we looked at a few weeks ago how uh, Christ was the propitiation. He was the appeasement for us. On the flip side, we know, again, if you're in Christ, man, you, have, you can have boldness, you can have confidence. But if you are not in Christ, you will not be able to have boldness and confidence at the judgment. If you don't know Christ, you should be afraid right now. You should be fearful. If you were to die without Christ today and you stand before a holy God, what would you say? And this is the question Dan's asking for. He's like, and it's a great question. What are you going to say? You know what? There's nothing you can say. There's absolutely nothing that you can say because your righteousness, and my righteousness, by the way, is as filthy rags. So instead of, if you're not in Christ, instead of experiencing the judgment that I'm going to, which is the bema seat of Christ, 
And I'm going to get judged and, and receive rewards or not receive rewards. Those that die without Christ will face the white throne judgment. And that is going to be a terrible thing. Nobody's going to have confidence at that judgment seat. In Revelation 20, the Bible tells us, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So all without Christ will be condemned. So in order to have this confidence on the day of judgment, you need to understand that you're a sinner. And your sin has put you at odds with God. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So because of the fact that everybody has sinned, Sin has a price that must be paid. And again, it is costly. The payment for sin is spiritual death. It is separation from God. And because God is holy, because He is sinless, He cannot take part with sin. That's why it puts us at odds with Him. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We know wages are something that we earn. Listen, every single one of us, because of our sin, we have earned death because of our sinful state. We deserve nothing good. But the good news is, it's Jesus Christ that we've, I've talked to several times this morning. He died and rose again to pay for our sins. He was the perfect and sinless sacrifice for our sins. As Romans 6.23 also says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, I say, all of the wrath due to our sin was placed on Jesus Christ. And if you... When like salvation and you want reconciliation to God, you need to repent and receive Christ as your personal Savior because He is the only way to heaven. There's no other way to have a relationship with God. There's no other way to have a home in heaven except by Jesus Christ. Everybody loves John 3.16. I already quoted it about how God so loved the world that He gave. Well, in John chapter 3, verse 18, He says this, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. So again, if you're saved, that's you. But he that believeth not is condemned already. So if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, you're under condemnation right now. And then it says in verse chapter 3, verse 18, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So I ask you this this morning. Have you believed and confessed Christ alone? Alone. One day... Every good thing that you've done, your position in this world, your, your church membership even, your service, your donations, your offerings, none of it's going to add up to anything. And none of it is going to give you boldness on the day of judgment when it comes to your eternal destination. Instead of what's going to happen, if you are trusting in Jesus plus something else, what's going to happen is God's going to look at you and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We ha Again, we had door-to-door -door yesterday and it was so... Awful. I was talking to this person, and they're blinded by Satan, and it's, it's just terrible. Took her through the scriptures, said, the Bible says here, 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 it's Jesus Christ. It's only by me. It's only by the Lord. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, it's only through Christ. And this person, they would agree, and they said, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's Jesus. But then, this person would say, and communion, and confession, and church attendance, and prayer. And I said, no, 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 it's only Christ. Look, let's, let's look right here. We, we took this person's Bible even, and it was a paraphrase of my Bible, but it, it pretty much said what I was saying. 
didn't listen. Blinded by Satan. Listen, it's not 99% Jesus and 1% something else. If you are here this morning and you think that you are getting to heaven for any other reason besides the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again, then you are on your way to hell. You're going to experience the wrath of God. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus only. And there are so many people in our own town that are deceived by Satan. And they're blinded by Satan. And man, I, I hope and pray that there's nobody in my church that's blinded by Satan like that. And if you are, you need to get saved today. You need to get saved by, from the wrath of God. It's only by grace that we can be saved. And the only way that you can be eternally secure when you stand before God is to place your faith and trust in Him and Him only. So if you have not placed your trust in Him only, won't you do it today? You can know that you are secure in Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. So if we're in Christ, we'll have confidence when we stand before Him. Because of our standing, and uh, our standing is in Christ. Again, it's not of ourselves. But secondly, we see that God's perfect love for us, it grows our love for Him. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 19. First John chapter 4, we'll just read this one verse here. It says, we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> Isn't that an awesome verse? We don't love God because we're so awesome. We don't love God because, well, we're just, we're just drawn to him for no reason. We don't, we don't love God because we're a good person. No, we love him because he first loved us. And this verse, it tells us why we love God. It tells us how we can love him more. And remembering his perfect and complete love, it will cause us to love him more. It will uh, cause us to mature in our love for him. And many people would say, and we all would probably say, you know what? I don't love God like I should. I mean, all of us would probably be honest and be able to say that. But the way that we have our love become perfected and, 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 and add to that which is lacking, as verse 17 tells us, is by simply doing what? Verse 19 really tells us to do, and that's meditating and considering the great love that God has for us. Charles Spurgeon once said that we come to love those better whom we love by knowing them better. He said, if you want to love Christ more, think of him. Think more of what you have received from him. And by the way, if you're saved today, you have received much. And that the, the way that a husband and wife relationship is made stronger, it's not by staying apart. It's by getting to know one another more. It's by spending time with one another more. It's by talking to them and learning about them. And again, as Spurgeon points out, this is the same way that our relationship with Christ grows. So as you meditate and consider the, the love that God has for you, it'll grow your love for God. And you understand that the greatest motivator to love God is to simply meditate on His great love. And you want to love God more? Think about what He did for you. Think about the fact that if you're in Christ... The wrath of God is not going to be put on you. And again, we deserve it. But remember his great act of perfect love 
and that will grow your love for him. Man, his love is so great, it is so vast, and we will grow to love him more perfectly, more maturely, as we dwell in the truth of his love. As we dwell in God's perfect love, it will cause our love for him to mature. So we see, secondly, that the, this perfect love of God, it will grow our love for him. But lastly, God's perfect love for us will produce genuine love for other believers. Look at chapter 4, verse 20. Look at verse 20. Now remember here that, that John is the apostle of love, right? He, he's all about love, 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 love. Yet look what he says here. It says in verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a what? <laughs> a liar. <laughs> For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. In that passage there, in the first few words of verse 20, we read a, a very familiar phrase that John often uses. If a man say. Again, this is a book of tests. And John, as he's done so often in this book, he, he often contrasts that which is real with that which is fake. Just as Jesus Christ did with the, uh, the wheat and the tares. You remember that in the uh, New Testament. John does this here. He, he warns against pretenders. And there are pretenders in the church, and he warns against getting involved with pretenders, but he also, in this, he warns against being a pretender. And So consider this, as we're talking about resting in God's perfect love, and how it's a mark of a, a mature believer, consider this fact. You know, pretending is a favorite activity of little children, isn't it? Little kids, they like to pretend. It seems like every few minutes, specifically, my daughter Jada, she'll come up to me and say something like, Oh, Daddy, I'm a lion, or I'm a, I'm a princess, or I'm a leopard, or whatever. She's, she's something different every three minutes, okay? But pretending is something that little children love to do. But that is not a mark of maturity in an adult, is it? You may say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, look, if you have an understanding of how deep and how perfect God's love for you is, it will grow genuine and real love to others that is not fake and it's not pretend now look we can say all we want i love my brothers and sisters in christ i love the people in my church we can say that all we want and we can do it dishonestly we are often masters at pretending that something is one way when it is in fact another John calls people out like this all throughout this book. Again, it's a book of tests. And if we are honest with ourselves, many of us would admit that we are great at times at pretending. Just for example, we all know how easy it is to pretend that something is, again, one way and it's really another. And I would say probably even more especially so on Sunday morning. Just to give you an example here, maybe on the way over here, you're in your car and your kids were screaming. You and your spouse were fighting. You all were going at it and you were miserable and you were just upset and it was just a terrible time. And then you walk in those doors and you flip the switch and you say, oh, hey, brother, so-and-so, or hey, pastor, Chastity, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. How are you doing? Oh, wonderful. My devotions this morning was just great. I just, I prayed for an hour. I read the Bible for an hour and it was just wonderful. And you don't tell anything about what actually just happened. We pretend everything's great, right? I mean, come on, we've all done that. We've all pretended that something is one way when really it's another. 
But when it comes to a believer's maturity and being settled and understanding the great love of God, we will not put on a show. As a matter of fact, we will not even have to put on a show because we're really going to genuinely love one another. And why is that? Because when you realize, as we've talked about before, but when you realize how God has loved you, how could you not love other people? Seriously, think about that for a moment. Tangs can wait. <laughs> think about that for a moment. When you realize how much God loved you, how could you not genuinely love everybody else? Do you understand how depraved you are? Do you understand how wicked your heart is? And I include myself in that too, by the way. Do I understand how wicked my heart is? Do you understand how carnal we are? Do you understand how worthy of God's love we are? We're not. We don't deserve any of it. Yet God has showed us perfect love, so how could we not show real love to other people? When I think of people in the Bible that put on a facade, and I love how honest the Bible is, amen? I think of two people that put on a facade, and they tried to make people think they had genuine love for other believers, but they didn't really, and that, of course, would be Ananias and Sapphira. I want to go to Acts chapter 4. We'll look at a little bit before uh, this time, Acts chapter 4. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36. <clears throat> and we're going to read down to into chapter 5 some. <clears throat> it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, And Joseph who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. By the way, that means encouragement. A Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I'll stop right there and say, Barnabas wanted to help people. He loved the brethren. He wanted to help these people. It was his love for the people was not self-motivated. He really genuinely loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, we know that because it tells us he was a son of consolation. He was an encourager. Look at chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, and with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, and notice here, it says, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie? Let's stop right there for a moment. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Just like John calls these people out in 1 John chapter 4, calls them liars. Peter says, Ananias, why are you lying? Why has Satan caused you to lie? Why has he filled your heart to lie? And look, it says, lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. 
Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. This is scary. <laughs> God takes lying very seriously. And we see here that what happened was Ananias and Sapphira, they saw, again, the great generosity of Barnabas. And no doubt he was a respected person. He, he was nicknamed an encourager. And then they decided, hey, we're going to outwardly display great generosity. But the problem was that they didn't do it out of genuine love for other people. They did it to put on a facade. They did it to put on a show. Peter said, Ananias, you were free to use this money for whatever you wanted. You, don't, you didn't have to give the money to the local church. You didn't have to help other people with it. But what did he do? He wanted to use his money to inflate his spiritual image and to inflate his pride. And he used the money to make it look like he loved other people, but really it was self-motivated and it was not a true and genuine love. Now we know this because as this passage tells us, they sold their possessions. They gave a certain amount to the church and they claimed to have given it all and they mutually agreed to lie in order to make themselves look better. They sold their possessions to just put on this facade to make it look like they loved believers when it was really just self-motivated. So Ananias and Sapphira... They professed something that they were not actually practicing. And by the way, as believers, we all need to be careful to not do that in any aspect of spirituality. You're not fooling anybody. We're all sinful, broken people that need the Lord. Okay? So there's no need to put on a, a mask and pretend. Okay? But understanding God's complete love, it will cause us to have genuine love for other people. It'll be real. It won't be fake like Ananias and Sapphira. As we dwell on the love of God and we remember how perfect His love is, we will grow in genuine love for other believers. And this, this uh, true love uh, in this type, genuine love for believers, you know what it does? It acts when no one else sees. True love that is demonstrated is demonstrated when nobody else even knows about it. It's not just in front of a bunch of people. Okay, true love isn't showy. We looked at that before in 1 Corinthians 13. True love is the type of love that the good Samaritan showed to that man that was beaten and he was robbed on the side of the road. It was just him and that man. And you know what? He could have passed by and no one would have batted an eye. But instead, he loved him enough to help him even when nobody else saw. He could have passed by that man and nobody would have cared. But he didn't have a love that was self-motivated. So as you dwell in the perfect love of God, your love towards other believers will be real. It will be mature. It will be growing. Let's go to one more place. 1 John chapter 4. Again, and just kind of look a little bit here in, in the prior verses. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. And we'll look at verse 8 and we'll also look at verse 12. We'll look at verse 7 though in 1 John chapter 4. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Again, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Look at verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. That's Again, that's connected down to verse 20, when it says that uh, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So, verse 12. No man has seen God at any time, 
If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. That's how we have love for one another. That's how we have a love that is being made perfect. That's how we have a love that is growing and that's maturing. We dwell in the real love of God. We dwell in the complete and perfect and finished love of God. Because again, how can you dwell in the love of God and not love others and love God more as a result? So look, let's, let's have real love for one another. If we know God, we know love. If we dwell in his love, our love will grow. God's perfect love will cause us to have true love for believers. Again, we don't have to pretend that we have love. We, we really will have genuine love because God's love is inside of us. And as we've seen before, it will come out. Man, look, isn't the love of God amazing? It's amazing. It's perfect. It's complete. It's lacking nothing. So let me ask you this as we get ready to close. Listen, do you rest in his love? Does his perfect love that he has given you drive out the fear of the judgment? Has his love and, and who you are and what you have in Christ just driven out all fear of judgment? You know, hey, I am boldly going to be able to stand before God because I know where I'm going. I know that all my sins are under the blood of Christ. Does his great love cause you to love him more? Does his great love cause you to have real love for other believers? That's not a pretend love. Hey, listen, let's just dwell in the love of God. Let's just consider the love of God and, and rest in Him. And let's believe the Bible. Let's remember that His perfect love is real and, and not give ear to Satan, but instead focus on the truth that's found in Christ and found in the Word of God. Look, confidence towards God. Love for God. And true love for other believers. Those are marks of perfect love being made real in our life. That is uh, just us growing in the perfect love of God and realizing, man, God really does love me the way He says he loves me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.